You are at the right place at the right time. Welcome to the Discover the Word podcast with Kevin Perney. This is a ministry of discovertheword.net. I want you to open your Bible this morning to the this evening to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter four. I'm preaching a series of ser- uh, servant sermons tonight uh, that I've entitled. This evening's message is entitled um, "The Sermon on the Boat." The Sermon on the Boat. Now we've all heard the story about the Sermon on the Mount, right? Did you know there was a Sermon on the Boat? Well, this is it right here. It's in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus will use a boat uh, as his pulpit and preach to the congregation, the multitudes that had gathered to hear him in the early days of his public ministry here in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, let me point this out to you in verse number 1. Mark chapter 4 says, And he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole multitude on the land uh, facing the sea. And he taught them many things by parables. So Jesus preached the sermon on the boat. It's a memorable sermon. Uh, In the gospel of Mark, he only really records two of our Lord's sermons. In Mark 13, we'll see that coming up a bit later, uh, a sermon about the second coming. And then this particular sermon here, I'll, I'll identify the theme in just a second in Mark chapter 4. If you have a red letter addition to your Bible, you will notice that beginning in verse number 3 all the way down to verse number 32 is all red letter. This is basically one of the great sermons that Jesus preached uh, and presented to the people at the time. Jesus was a storyteller. And we discover in this sermon that he is going to tell three separate stories that are called parables in verse number two. Um, Mark packages these together, no doubt because the Lord Jesus packaged these three parables together. In fact, the structure of this sermon can be seen in this illustration. Let me ask the guys to put up that first panel, if they would please, of the uh, structure of this sermon. Uh, Notice in verse number two, it says, and he taught them many things by parables. Then if you'll notice at the end of verse number 33 and verse 34, actually, it says, and without a parable, he did not speak to them. So he has a reference to parables at the top and a reference to parables at the bottom. And then in the middle, he's going to tell three stories, all of them that have to do with the seed or the seeds, uh, as the case may be. So this is the storyline. This is how the package of the sermon is put together from Mark's storytelling. Uh, And it's going to be three specific stories. And each of these stories has direct application and and, uh, information concerning the kingdom of God. Notice, if you will, in verse number 11, it says, And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. This first story, which is the longest by far of the three, is about the mystery of the kingdom of God. Then in verse number 26, he will tell another story. And he said to them, the kingdom of God is as if. 
and he tells the second story about sowing seed. It also is about the kingdom of God. And then if you'll notice in verse number 30, it says, then he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? And he tells his third story, this time about the mustard seed. So Jesus is going to preach the sermon on the boat about the kingdom of God. Now, this is one of the most important themes in all of the Bible, the kingdom of God. It is so big, the theme of the kingdom of God, that you can't hardly see it. It reminds me of the great sequoia trees that are up in the mountains above us here to the north, uh, just a little bit. When you go to see those uh, great sequoia trees, when you get up close to that tree, you can't see it very well because it's so big. Sometimes I like to say, I'm so close to it, I can't see it. You literally have to back away from it, really, if you want to get a full measure of that tree and its magnitude, its height, its width, and etc. You need to back up from it maybe 100 or 50 feet and then take a look at it. And you go, my goodness, look at that thing. The same is true with this theme of the kingdom of God, in my opinion. It is the major theme in the Bible. The Bible, if I could reduce it down to one sentence, is this. It's about the king and his coming kingdom. The king and his coming kingdom. And I don't know why this doesn't register with us when we think about the purpose plan of God, but the reality is this is what it's about, a kingdom. And he is the king. And this is not an analogy. This is not a metaphor. This is the reality. He sits upon his throne in heaven where he rules and reigns the universe. And his kingdom is going to be manifest even on this earth. Remember our Lord's prayer. He said, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So think in terms of kingdom and a king. To you, who is God? If you ask me that question, walking around this campus anywhere, Pastor Phil, to you, who is God? I'd say he's the king and his kingdom is coming. This is what the whole storyline of the Bible is about. So it is a huge, huge theme. So in this sermon in Mark chapter 4 that Mark presents to us, one of only two in the entire uh, gospel uh, of uh, Mark, 16 chapters, only two sermons are presented by Jesus. Five sermons, by the way, are presented in the Gospel of Matthew. Only two in the Gospel of Mark. And this first one is about the kingdom of God. So we're going to learn something about God's kingdom tonight. And we're going to understand his kingdom better. And maybe it can provide a frame of reference for us about God's purpose plan and who am I and what am I doing in it. And that you're a part of his kingdom program. I think it's good to use biblical a biblical understanding about the purpose plan of God. And this is it, his coming kingdom. What we find in chapter 4, verses 3 down through verse number 25, is an extensive story that Jesus is going to tell that provides us this key piece of information about God's kingdom. And that is this. Number one, God's kingdom now faces opposition. God's kingdom now faces opposition. Let me see if I have that up on the board. Guys, did I give you that? God's kingdom now faces opposition. God's kingdom faces opposition. Now, you would think that God's kingdom would come triumphantly and victoriously. 
But we're discovering in the Gospels that when Jesus introduced us to the coming kingdom of God, his very first sermon on that subject says it's going to face opposition. In fact, you may remember in Mark chapter 1, just a few pages over in chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus arrived on the scene and he preached his very first message by saying this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So he's going to demonstrate in a parable. He's going to demonstrate in a story how God's kingdom operates. Some important information about it, and that is this. God's kingdom is going to face opposition. But we know, and eventually, God's kingdom is going to triumph. You and I are living in the age when his kingdom is facing opposition. Amen? Uh, the kingdom is growing, and it is expanding in a remarkable way, but is also facing tremendous resistance and pressure and opposition. Let me see if I can explain to you how Jesus did this and communicated that truth. So we see in verse number two, he says, Then he taught them many things by parables, and he said to them in his teaching, Remember, he's on the boat. And here's the first thing he says, verse number three. Listen. See that in verse three? Pay attention. <laughs> All right? Pastor Larry always says to these young guys on our staff, he will say to them, what will he say to them? Are you... Okay, let's see if there's any young guys on our staff. Are any, any of the young guys on staff listening to me preach now? What will Pastor Larry tell you all the time? Are you, are you listening to me, he says. And of course, they never are, just like they weren't right there. They're probably playing on their phone or something. Jesus said, listen. Now, I've tried to get inside that one imperative command that Jesus gave in verse number three. Perhaps he was trying to calm down the crowd, right? There's a lot of commotion going on just before this. He's, he's got in a boat and they pushed it out away. Or it could be that it's just, he's trying to stress the importance of this moment. And he says, listen now, listen to me. Behold, a sore went out to sow. Someone with a great imagination said it might have been possible that on the hillside, just beyond the lake of the Sea of Galilee, someone was actually sowing the seed. That's imagination. It's not revelation. But it's not beyond the possibility of something like that happening. What we find is Jesus says, listen to me. And basically, he's going to describe how the kingdom will face opposition when the message is presented. He's wanting us to hear, hear, hear the word of God. Notice what it says in verse number 9. He has said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Look what it says in verse number 12 in the middle. And hearing, they may hear. In verse 15, he says, and when they hear. In verse 16, it says, and when they hear. In verse 18, he says, and when they hear. In verse 20, he says, those who hear. In verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear. Verse 24, then he said to them, take heed what you here and then at the very end in the summary of this sermon mark writes and with so many parables he spoke to them the word which they were able to hear jesus is going to tell us you need to hear this you need to hear it faith comes by seeing is that what the bible says faith comes by what most people think that faith is going to come by seeing 
How many times have you had people maybe suggest to you, if God could just do some miracle for me or my family or my family member or my friend, they would believe. If they could just see it, they would believe it. But that's not the case. When you look at the storyline of the Old Testament, the greatest miracle age of all outside of the gospel age was in the days of Moses when they witnessed miracle after miracle in the wilderness. But yet that generation is described as an unbelieving generation. In the days of our Lord, untold how many miracles, 33 are recorded, who knows how many are recorded, were accomplished by Jesus in a three-year span, yet that generation crucified our Lord. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's fake news <laughs> to think that if you are going to see something, you're going to believe something. The, the imperative of faith is placed not on the eyes, but on the ears. Faith comes by hearing, and here's why. Not every generation would be blessed in a supernatural, miraculous era like the days of the apostles or the days of Moses. But every generation would be able to hear what happened. It's actually a great deal of pride to say, well, if God would just show me a miracle, I would believe. The message is to be proclaimed, and then it's to be heard, and then it is to be believed. This is how the faith principle works. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. In this sense, your hearing is the greatest and most important sense that you have, even more spiritually speaking now. Maybe physically that's not the case. If you had to make a terrible decision about losing your eyes or losing your hearing, how, would you, how could you do that? But if you had to, I think most of us in this room would choose our sight. In the spiritual realm, though, it's with your hearing. So Jesus stands up. No, he doesn't. He sits down on the boat. Notice verse number four, which was the attitude of a rabbi who would sit in the Moses seat, they called it, and preach in the synagogue. He took the synagogue out of doors. He sat in the boat, and he said, listen and hear what I have to say. Now, I'm not going to read the remainder of this parable. I'll leave it, read it, leave it to your reading, but I will tell you this part of it. Jesus basically tells the story in four ways. He says, the sower goes forth to sow, and the seed falls on four different kinds of grounds. And there will then be a variety of responses to be learned from that. The first is the seed falls on the roadside. It's hard packed. Secondly, the seed falls on the rocks, not good soil. Next, the, the seed falls among the weeds and the thorns, and it's choked out. And then last of all, he said, some of the seed falls on the good ground, and it begins to sprout, and it begins to grow. Well, what does this parable mean, you may ask? Well, in uh, verse number 10, it says, But when he was alone, those around him, when the twelve asked him about the parable, Jesus said, This parable is about the kingdom of God. Here's what this is about. He says, That seed that falls onto the good ground, or excuse me, on the roadside, is the it's like the seed that is snatched up by Satan as soon as you preach it, and you never really catch it. So there is always spiritual warfare in the midst of the proclamation of God's word. Number two, that in verse 16, the ground uh, that is stony ground is like those who hear the word, the word 
immediately receive it, but there's no root, and it never does really take root and grow. Verse 18, he says, the third variety of soil is that of which is on the thorns, which all of the deceitfulness of the world and the cares of this world and the desires of this world choke it out before the seed can actually grow. And then finally, in verse number 20, he says, the good ground is where the seed falls, it sprouts, it grows, and it is an abundance in harvest. Now, why did I say that this message teaches us that God's kingdom faces opposition? Well, he identified three primary enemies of the word of God being proclaimed in our world. The first is Satan. The second is our own selves. And the third is the cares of this world. These three, the world, the flesh, and the devil, if you will, have always been in opposition to the purpose plan of God. His kingdom is announced and is proclaimed and is inaugurated when Jesus preaches to the people. The consummation and the fulfillment of that kingdom, though, will not be accomplished until his second coming. What we can understand in the midst of this time frame, from the time that the kingdom was inaugurated till the kingdom will finally be consummated, is that there will be a period of great opposition in between. In this time frame, we can expect opposition. So Jesus was preparing his disciples for the future and how they were going to face that. But we learn from this passage, even though there is opposition, God's kingdom will come. We'll talk about that near the end of this message in just a moment. I also think that there's an application for this Sermon on the Boat, first story about the seed and the sower, is that one of the characteristics of a follower, and this is how Mark describes believers in his gospel. We are followers. We are on a pilgrimage. Even Pastor Roger highlighted this morning in First, or First Thessalonians, how it does, Paul said he talked about our walk, how this is a, it's a metaphor for the Christian life, that we should walk in this way. This theme is so prominent in the New Testament and the Old Testament that the life of faith is a walk. It's a journey. We're on a path. We are following Jesus. So we're asked to come and be followers. What we learn from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 down to the end of this in verse 25 is that a characteristic of a true follower is they receive his word. They receive it. And they love it. And they want more and more and more of God's word. Never quite satisfied. I've got to learn more about his word. Now think about it just for a second. God chose through the revelation of the written word to communicate his message to us. The more that I have considered this, I realize now that that was the perfect medium by which God chose to speak to us. It is objective. By that I mean it's outside of myself. It is available for every person in every generation to look at it and to study it. And in that context, I have a medium by which I can trust. Even in our world, we, we get ready to have a business deal. They say, well, let's get that in writing. Nothing is more authoritative than writing. 
You might think, well, wouldn't it have been better if God had given us dreams and visions and he had written it in the sky? No. The best way God chose to reveal himself to all of us is through his revelation in the written word. This is the perfect medium by which God could communicate to all of us. And if you're trying to communicate to and with God and from God in any other medium than this, you're on shaky ground. This is the means by which God communicates to us. Years and years and years ago, far away and long ago, I talked to an old Baptist preacher who held up a worn out old black Bible. He had a piece of elastic around it like that to hold it together. Uh, and he said to me, God has revealed himself to me in the pages of this book. And that just stuck in my mind. This is how you hear from God, right? This is the way you get God's message. So applications would certainly be, don't you think we should be in God's word every day? Don't you want to hear from the word of God every single day, not just on Sundays? Be a Bible reader. Hear, hear the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. It's just fantastic. All right, so God's kingdom will face opposition. Story number two is found in verse number 26. And this is a short one, so we'll read it. Then he said to them, remember, now all of these are about the kingdom. First, the kingdom of God will face opposition. Two, here's the point. I'll give you the principle, then we'll read it. God's kingdom grows mysteriously. Number two, God's kingdom grows mysteriously. Mysteriously. Verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and he should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts the sickle in, or he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. God's kingdom grows mysteriously. Now remember I told you there are three stories about the seed. This is the middle story of the three. The first about the seed and the sower. Now this middle story, which might be, even though it's the shortest of them, the most important of them. Here we discover that it is through God's divine power that the seed, which is the word, he identifies that in verse 14. He said, the sower sows the word, whereby the Holy Spirit takes the seed, the word proclaimed, the word shared, and it sprouts and it grows. And it does so mysteriously. He says the farmer doesn't even understand it. He sows the seed, he plows the field, he sows the seed, he goes to bed and he wakes up one morning and there it is. There is the wheat, if you, that's what he sowed, beginning to come up. First it sprouts, then it begins to show a blade in verse 28, then in time a head will appear, and then last of all in full grain the harvest is here. It is miraculous. It is mysterious. Did I say mysterious or miraculous? I should have said miraculous. God's kingdom grows miraculously, but mysteriously is good too. We don't understand it. It grows miraculously and mysteriously. Now, I say that from a preacher's perspective. It's hard sometimes to even grasp this. What has happened here at Valley Baptist Church? Well, all Pastor Roger and I have done is sow the seed, right? 
We've been preaching the word. The sower sows the word. And miraculously and mysteriously, one day we wake up and look at this thing. It's really, truly hard to, to, to accept and believe. Uh, there's, there's that sense of uh, mystery to it and miraculous nature to it. And God's kingdom grows miraculously. It may seem at any given moment that no headway is being made. But in the course of the ages, we see that God's kingdom is marching on and we're awaiting the return of the king when his kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. The coming kingdom of God grows mysteriously and miraculously. So let's be faithful in sowing the seed, right? The more seed we sow, the more people will be saved. Now, this came home to me all about a month ago when I did a funeral for a lady in our church named Anita. And I want her daughter early to come up here just for a second. And I want to, I want you to hear Anita's story because this reminds me of this passage of scripture. The seed was sown and miraculously and mysteriously, it grew abundantly. So you come stand right here by me early uh, and let's talk to him about Anita just for a moment, your mama. Now, uh, she, when did she, when was, when did, I, before I came to Valabash Church, I was at Tehachapi for like three years. And that's where she was baptized, right? Yeah. Okay, now you. talk to the Nin man. 1982 when she got baptized by okay. Pastor Phil. Okay. And now, how many grandchildren does she have? 71. Let's say that again. How many grandchildren did Anita? 71. 71 grandchildren. This is mysterious and miraculous. Okay. They said there's no TV in the Philippines, but I don't believe that. I think they just got so busy. So many babies. Every year. We like Baptist babies. Anyway, Anita has all these uh, um, stories. But tell us a little bit about Anita's life. What was the one factor in her life that she did over and over and over again? My mom is a very wonderful and godly woman. When she and my dad separated for a long, long time, she bore 12 kids, but 10 of us live. And then when she came to the Lord in the Philippines, she was telling me this, we had, she had nine kids living. And she's by herself, and she's self-employed and supporting all these children. But with her faith so strong, she thrived. And with all the children, she put some of them in college to uh, the Baptist missionary mm -hmm. or seminary. Mm -hmm. I seminary, don't, seminary. Yeah. So anyway, my mom never stopped working, supporting the children. And how did she work? Tell her what she would do when she worked with well, the fish. Well, we all worked uh, going out and doing the fish business. We have, we have a fish business back home. It's a smoke house, we call them. And in the morning, we go up. I mean, we get up and get into the boat. Of course, they used to use dynamite when I was young to go fishing. <laughs> but um, when we get the fish, they, we start cutting the fish and lay it out. Or we smoke the fish and we get up like 12 o'clock. My dad wake me up all the time at 12 midnight to take fish, smoke fish to every different 
just like Bakersfield, you go to McFarland, all the way to Delano or Fresno. So we have those accounts until we go to our own place. So that happens for so long until they separated because my dad got into this alcohol problem. But my mom stood on her faith, and she never quit. And one thing about my mom that I will always remember, I was telling Pastor Roger and Pastor Phil, she likes to share the love of God. She likes to share, and she likes to always give us the sermon, no matter how young and old, all my brothers and sisters, she never quit. So when she's by herself, she will always read the Bible to us, and she will read the Bible every year. She knows from New Gen I mean, Old Testament to New Testament. And when I start doing that, I have to call my mom on some, and she will just click tell me all about it and which word to look for. But my mom's uh, attitude towards God, she is so faithful. And wherever I take her on vacation, cruise, or Las Vegas, this is no kidding. She will not forget to bring the tracks of the church. And she's got English and Spanish. I take her to Alaska. As soon as she get off the boat, she is going out there and soul winning. She will never quit. And I keep telling my mom, are you going to go shopping? This is my shopping. I'm shopping for people. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I always joke with my mom. She never carries credit card, but people always don't leave home without your credit card. Hers, don't leave home without the tracks. Mm -hmm. And she goes to Mexican Riviera, and she's ready. She's got the Spanish. And she goes to the mall here. Sometimes she gets kicked out, kicked out by the security, but she's so like, you know, Jesus loves you, okay. And she goes on, hey, mm -hmm. Jesus loves you. That's all she had to say. That's all she had to share. And when I had a bar and a restaurant in Tehachapi, she works for me for a long time. And my mom never fails to go to the bar and put a TBN in my bar. Can you imagine people drinking in the TBN on the bar? <laughs> like, yay. So she started doing that. And in the morning when my customer comes to the bar, and I shared this with Pastor Phil, I mean Phil, it was kind of like nice in a way, but this is business, you know. At the time, I wasn't saved, of course. And she will serve the steak and eggs with the customer, and the customer will drink beer in the morning. And I just kind of noticed about this one guy, James. I said, James, what are you, what, what's wrong with you? And he said, oh, nothing, because he's got a teary eye. And I said, what's wrong? Nanai, what, what happened to James? And she said, and she said, well, Nanai made me cry because she started preaching at me. I said, Nanai, this is, well, I was just telling him, why does he have to drink? you know, beer in the morning, you know, like this is the temple. Of, I mean, she just start. that's all she does. All she talks about is about God. But to be honest with you, I met this guy here in Bakersfield. Praise the Lord, he got saved. James, don't drink anymore. And I'm sure there is more that my mom did. She went to the bus station. She loves to take bus because that's her ministry at the bus station. She will get all these people a track, and she will just hand it to them. She never gets tired. So, um, you know, she left us a, a, a good legacy here. 
And she never really, like, quit. And she's so naive. And I was telling Pastor Phil, I got to tell this joke. And I was so busy at the restaurant cooking. And customer says, early this a, a guy in a bar. And, you know, and my waitresses are busy. So I asked my mom inside the kitchen, go and check it out. So she came back. And, of course, she's looking in the drawer. And I asked her, I stopped her. I said, what are you looking for, Mom? The guy in the bar wants screwdriver. I said, Mama, stop. It's not a screwdriver. It's a drink. I got to go over there. And I just like, you know. So that's how my mom is so naive. All she can think of is really, really share the word of God. She planted a seed in so many ways, in so many places. And even my son, when we go to Las Vegas, she start doing that when we have to see the show or fall in line in the restaurant, I will hear my son will say, Nanai, there's a time for sharing. Hello. And she goes, I know, but this is the time. <laughs> Isn't that great? So I said, just leave grandma alone. She's happy what she's doing. So the time for my mom to share Isn't is that? every time. And she will tell people, to go to church, whenever you see the door open at the church, no matter what day, as soon as they're open, you go. That's the only way you can learn and you can receive the Word of God and live the life that, you know, she did live the life that she How many likes of to those live. 71 grandchildren are saved, do you think? Oh my gosh, we, Pastor, I've been praying for the rest of the family. Some of them, her first convert is my niece, the oldest one that sing the song for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because she shared that. And uh, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of the, mm -hmm. her grandkids, too, that got saved. I got saved through that because my mom has been praying for me. Of course, I was a rebellious kid. And, of course, I gave up everything when April got into an accident. When I sold my business and the bar and restaurant, restaurant's still open. I was thinking, my goodness, you know, I sold the rest, I mean, I sold the bar and I'm just like, yay, everybody's going to quit drinking. Well, that was my mental thinking, but no. So anyway, it was like my mom is always praying for me, praying, praying for me about the bar, you know, get rid of them or whatever, but this is my business, you know, and stuff like that. But her prayer, God answered it. And, you know, I, I got saved, and I, totally, I was just sold out. That's good. That's, that's, so, that's the message I wanted you to hear. I wanted you to hear the story how a seed was planted 30 years ago, and miraculously and mysteriously, it has grown now in an unbelievable way. Grandkids got up and sang at your mother's funeral, and nieces got up and sang songs about Jesus at this funeral. And I thought, look what happens when one somebody gets saved and their life gets turned around. Thank you so much, Early. We appreciate your testimony. <clears throat> the point of this middle story is just exactly that. The seed is sown. The farmer has no idea why it sprouts, how it sprouts, but miraculously, mysteriously, it grows. One last story, verses 30 down to verse 32, another short one. This particular passage of Scripture teaches us that God's kingdom will be established. So these are kingdom stories. God's kingdom will 
be established. God's kingdom grows mysteriously. God's kingdom faces opposition. Last of all, God's kingdom will be established. He said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, it is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. It is a little thing, the mustard seed, but when it is planted and when it grows, it can, as Jesus said, grow into a large plant. This is the purpose plan of God being accomplished and being established. It can grow and it will grow and God's kingdom will be established. It will happen. And someday we'll be in God's kingdom with the Lord forever and ever and ever. So there there are three stories about God's kingdom. God's kingdom faces opposition. God's kingdom grows miraculously or mysteriously and God's kingdom will eventually be established and it will be a giant tree that will fill the earth, likened unto the teaching of Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 37, where a tree is portrayed as the great kingdom of God. We hope you were blessed by today's message and want to thank you for joining us on this Discover the Word journey today. If you have a moment, would you join with others in going to iTunes and leaving a good review for us? Thanks. We also invite you to visit our website, discovertheword.net. Until next time, have a wonderful day and may God richly bless you.